0: The GIST is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and get a $110 bonus offer when you visit stamps.com and use the promo code the GIST. The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: It's Monday, November 17th, 2014. From Slate, it's the GIST. I'm Mike pasca. So I listened to the tragic news over the weekend about the American soldier turned aid worker who was beheaded by ISIS. And this guy, Peter Kassig, just like the other two American victims, what an exemplary person. So there was Steven Sotloff who wanted to do journalism in the hardest place to do it because that's where it's most necessary. There was James Foley. He did Teach for America. He worked for USAID development projects in Iraq. And now Peter Kassig, who went from army ranger to aid worker because he was so affected by the plight of the hardest hit Syrians. But what's Struck me as odd was how he was described, actually how his name was reported in so many news accounts. In a statement,
2: Kassig's parents said, we are heartbroken to learn that our son, Abdul
1: Rahman Peter
2: Kassig, has lost his life. Peter Kassig, also
1: known as Abdul Rahman.
2: Abdul Rahman Cassig, uh, Is that of the man known as Abdul Rahman since converting to Islam while in captivity.
1: Why would credence be given to a name conversion in captivity? It's clearly under duress. And I can imagine this offended his parents, the parents of Peter, the parents who named him Peter, to have the media report his captive name, to have the statement issued by the White House titled Statement by the President on the Death of Abdul Rahman Qasig. Mike Pence, Indiana's Republican governor, also issued a statement about Abdul Rahman Qasig. And then it hit me a suspicion that I confirmed when I talked to some people who know about such things, that this was a concerted effort, an effort to shame ISIS in the eyes of fellow Muslims. To execute a Muslim discredits ISIS in the minds of moderate Muslims, or at least that's the hope. And no front page magazine wrote, quote, it's truly despicable for Obama to exploit the murder of an American in order to do public relations for Islam. That is not what's happening. It's part of a struggle for the hearts and minds, as they say. But maybe you were wondering about it like I was, and now you know. Today on the show, a tonal shift, trust me. In the spiel, I will spiel about Bobby Jindal's appearance on Meet the Press, both confusing and compelling. Compel fusing And unpacking the pumpkin. We untie the Gordian knots that are gourds. Not, well, at least we analyze the ubiquitous autumnal offering. But first, the aspect of the Affordable Care Act that's so successful it's kind of a disaster. Headline, CNBC and New York Times, cost of coverage under CARE Act set to increase. Uh Uh-oh. Here's the lead. The Obama administration on Friday unveiled data showing that many Americans with health insurance bought under the Affordable Care Act could face substantial price increases next year, in some cases as much as 20 percent unless they switch plans. But read deeper and you find this bad thing might be kind of a good thing because there are new insurers offering lower premiums than last year. That's good. More affordable premiums. However, if you, who use Obamacare, if you stay with the old guys, your old insurer, you might miss out on a government reimbursement because the reimbursements are pegged to the second cheapest of the second cheapest kind of plan. Like everything else with health care, it's complicated. So I am joined, to explain this and other aspects of the ACA, I'm joined by Phil Gallowitz, who covers Obamacare and Medicare for Kaiser Health. Hello, Phil. Hi there. So, Phil, Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah is in line to take over as chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, said this year, many who like their plan will likely have to pay more to keep it. That's true enough. But the point is, you got to consider checking the plan you had last year if you
0: want the best deal. Is that right? Here's the good news, first of all. There's more, in many places around the country, there's more competition compared to last year. So we're seeing some companies, for example, in Idaho, I was looking at one place, there's a new uh, co-op that's coming in selling policies, and they are actually selling policies cheaper than what Blue Cross was selling them for the year before. So that's affecting people who the subsidies that about 85% or so of Americans are getting a subsidy to help them pay for insurance on these exchanges. But those subsidies are tied to the cost of the second lowest silver tier plan. Uh, The the plants are sold on bronze, silver, gold, platinum, and these tied to whatever is the second lowest silver plan. So now with more companies coming in, that second lowest plan has changed now. So if it was Blue Cross on one hand, now it's Mountain Co-op because the subsidy has changed. The onus is now on you that you may have to change your policy because the subsidy is no longer – tied exactly to the plan that you're in anymore because now there's a different plan that's going to be the second lowest plan. It's a little complicated, but I think for most readers, not to bore them with all this, is that the good news in cases is that there's more competition and that the onus should be on you to shop around and take advantage of that competition.
1: Yeah. So the headline in the New York Times about what we were just talking about is cost of coverage under Affordable Care Act to increase in 2015. But it does seem like it was talking about The phenomenon of if you don't switch your plan, it might cost more to keep your plan because the federal subsidies won't be there. So I'm wondering if that development, that they have these new plans and that the second lowest silver tiered plan is less expensive, is that a triumph of the law or is it a failure of the law that it is so convoluted that it is encouraging people to change their plans, which people don't like to do?
0: I wouldn't say I would say call that a failure. Again, again, Obamacare has been faulted a lot because it's this big government. We've heard the phrase so many times, it's a huge government takeover of health care, right? Well, and here what we have is most of Obamacare, in this case with the exchanges, is – this is all private. A lot of these plans can choose whether or not they want to come in, whether or not they want to sell in Miami, whether they want to sell in Boise, Idaho. So what we're, happening is we're having is probably more companies come into the market, which in many respects is a big, huge victory because a year ago, a year or two years ago, a lot of people said, oh, look at it. Not enough insurers were going to play in the market. Now we're seeing, for example, this year United Healthcare, one of the largest health insurance companies in America, is making a huge bet and expanding, coming out in many more state exchanges. But again, the onus, the onus has always been on consumers is that you you have to be a smart shopper. If if you're just going to sit back and pay whatever that bill that comes due, if you're not going to be a smart shopper, you're going to pay more money. I guess one of the benefits people forget about Obamacare is now, you can actually shop a lot easier for health care. The problem before last year in health insurance was it was almost impossible to shop for health insurance because every plan was different. They weren't standardized. There was no minimum benefits. You didn't know what you were getting. You couldn't compare plan A to B to C because every plan offered different benefits. So if one plan costs more than the other, you couldn't compare. Now what's different under these policies sold under the Affordable Care Act and the exchanges is, is that the plans are standardized. The silver, gold, bronze, you, 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 have, you, you know what the yep. minimum benefit to each level you're going to get. So it's a lot easier to make a quick comparison.
1: Let's talk about medical devices. This is another fight to come. What is the controversy there? And before you even start, tell us, what, what kind of devices are we talking about?
0: So devices, it's a huge industry, but, you know, there's catheters, hip and knee replacements, and all the uh, artificial limbs and things like that. The controversy there is the uh, medical device companies were included. A number of health industry sectors were thought to ha- gain, they were going to make money, because the thinking is, as there's higher demand for healthcare, there's going to be more, de- more demand for stents Just more demands for hip and knee replacements because now people have a way of paying for them. Uh, But the device manufacturers have have, have argued we shouldn't do this. It's an unfair tax. If you do this, our companies are going to be hurt. Our, you know, a lot of device manufacturers are not big, giant, multi-billion-dollar companies like Medtronic, but are also much smaller companies, and it's unfair for them to have to pay this tax. And if they have to pay this, it's going to hurt their business.
1: Right. And I have seen it uh, reported that the device maker tax is a pretty small part of it. I mean, it's in the billions, but it's not necessarily make or break for the law. It might not even be, despite their arguments, make or break for their companies.
0: And we also haven't seen, at least to my knowledge, evidence that the medical device manufacturers' profits have declined and but their revenues have declined. In other words, are they taking a hit because of this? I, I haven't seen that yet about these, are these companies hurting over the last year because of the tax? But the question facing Congress is anytime, you know, the money's there, the money was included in the law. So the question is, if, they, if Congress wants to pull this out of the law and say, you know what, we don't want to do this, Congress is going to have to make up this. I think it's in the $20, $30 billion over 10 years. They're going to have to come up with a way of paying for it because this money, is, in some respects, has already been spent because the money coming out of device manufacturers is partly helping to pay for – the expansion of Medicaid around the country. It's also helping to pay for the subsidies uh, under the health insurance exchange that go out to millions of Americans. So the question is if they take that money away, say device manufacturers don't have to pay it, well, who's going to pay it instead?
1: Phil Gallowitz covers Medicare and Obamacare for Kaiser Health News. Thank you, Phil. You're welcome. Mailing your letters and packages is so much better. It's just so much better using stamps.com. So much better. Why? Free digital scale, better. Why? No standing in line at the post office, better. Why? They got a program that tells you the postal codes of Uruguay or even Uruguay, both of those countries, same country, different ways to pronounce it, one's right, one's wrong, but they're always right about how much it costs to mail a letter there. With stamps.com you could buy and print official US postage right from your desk. It gives you the scale I'm talking about, it calculates everything accurately. Just click print and mail, and unlike the post office stamps.com is open 24/7. I recommend stamps.com and you can use a promo code. It's the gist for a special offer. A no-risk trial, a hundred ten dollars bonus offer, including a free digital scale. Have I mentioned the scale? And up to fifty-five dollars free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist that stamps.com. Enter the gist. So you know the seasons: winter, spring, summer, fall. I have a new idea for rebranding them. Stuffing, Cadbury eggs, gazpaccio, and pumpkin spice. There are now all these seasonal foods and they're leeching out of their season. So now that we're in the middle of fall or pumpkin spice mania, as we approach the stuffing time, I wanted to bring in Dan Pashman. Dan is the author of Eat More Better, How to Make Every Bite More Delicious. And you know him from the Sporkful Podcast, now distributed by WNYC. Hello, Dan. Hey, Mike. So, right, it's pumpkin spice latte time. We've talked about this on The Gist. A couple weird things about pumpkin spice latte. (laughs) Like pumpkin, it's not really involved with pumpkin spice that much.
2: Yeah, not that much. And frankly, if it were, you'd hardly taste it anyway. Pumpkin is very mild in flavor to begin with. And most of the foods out there that are labeled pumpkin spice have little to no pumpkin in them. Much more what you're tasting is cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, and often pumpkin more than anything, sugar or
1: corn syrup. Right. So is there anything, I know that there are social, cultural associations with that flavor in this season, but is there any real reason why pumpkin spice latte is only a November now, you know, October, November, December thing?
2: I mean, pumpkins are generally harvested in the fall. They are a fall food. It's not a total accident that we eat pumpkin pie around Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I mean, that pumpkins are associated with Halloween and not Easter. It could be.
1: <laughs> they get right. eggs, colored eggs. They just they need a,
2: re- a rebranding is all they need. <laughs> that, that's all this is about, yeah. Well, exactly. I mean, I, I think that it, a lot of it has to do with the association of the fall, no question. But I think really what it's all about, and you talk about all the seasonality of these foods that are all created in labs, which is artificial scarcity. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it's about artificial scarcity, which is that part of the reason why the pumpkin spice latte and all uh, which has now begat so many pumpkin spice foods i mean liquor and beer and they even have like um coffee mix pumpkin spice coffee mix and they yeah. have pumpkin spice oatmeal and pu- yeah. i mean it is pumpkin spice cream
1: cheese i think didn't snl do a pumpkin spice douche commercial parody i think they did probably if not i'm a horrible person but i think <laughs> they did
0: from the makers of summer's eve comes autumn's eve pumpkin spice douche the first intimate care wash with all the bold spicy flavors of fall because nothing says clean
2: like warm gooey pumpkin and hot itchy cinnamon finally my intimates can have that warm inviting scent that reminds you of your mom my husband loves it I mean, I think it's funny to watch these big corporations and marketers struggle with this tension Mm -hmm. of they have a food like the Starbucks pumpkin spice latte or the Cadbury cream egg, um, and they have what I call mission creep going on, which is like the marshmallow peeps. The little bunnies used to only be around Easter. Now they have Halloween peeps
1: also. And these are, all it is, is sugar in a mold. Right. Yes.
2: And different food coloring on top. So these marketers, like they want to be able to. have a bigger season because they want to make more money. But they also understand that there's a certain power in having something only available for a certain amount of time. It makes it more special, yeah. Right. Like, you know, Starbucks just this year pulled the pumpkin spice latte as early as late August. They launched it earlier than they ever had before. But actually, a woman at the company that helps make the mixture said, I don't think we'll go into July that summer.
1: You know? <laughs> <laughs> we have standards that's here. That's right. That's yeah. right.
2: And I did an episode of The Sporkful a while back about the monster cereals, Frankenberry, Booberry, um, which all come out around Halloween. Yummy Mummy. Right. Yummy Mummy. Like, there's a reason why they got
1: discontinued. Yeah. And that's because. One of the seasons that Booberry turns your stool blue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: The, those monster shows were not a great seller. They had kind of fallen out of favor and they were taken off the shelves and then. Suddenly, they were brought back for a limited time only. Artificial scarcity. Like, as if like the blue dye that goes into BooBerry is, only, is, only, is seasonal. And now they're this big thing that everyone gets excited to see in the stores. And I interviewed people on the Sporkful who said, I buy way more BooBerry in the one month yeah. now than I did in the 12 months when they were available all the time.
1: I think that part of it is... I think a lot of it is fueled by social media. And I think people egg, or in some cases, Cadbury egg, each other on, about foods that they might not even like. I think, okay, pumpkin spice latte, you like it. There's a little bit of craziness about it. But the McRib. The McRib is just not a good food. (laughs) Who could really get into the... McRib. If the McRib weren't for a limited time only, it would be for no time only. <laughs> the McRib is bad, so I, and I think I think it's all a Twitter phenomenon.
2: It's at, well. Well, I don't totally agree that it's social media because I remember friends of mine getting so fired up about the McRib <sighs> way before Twitter. I mean, I know that you are a lover of words, Mike. Yeah. As, as am I, and I talk a lot in my book. It's a whole section on language arts. Yeah. And I talk about oxymorons and misnomers in food, and yeah. one of them is boneless ribs. Yeah. Like there's. No such thing as a boneless rib. Yeah. Okay. The McRib has no rib. Yeah. Like, it, a rib is a bone. Yeah. So if you're going to call a food rib, yeah. it has to have a, bo- yeah. a, a and, bone. And same
1: in with it. boneless chicken wing. It might not hit us in the face as much, but that is just, right. I mean, that is just speaks to me the laziness of the American eater. Do you like boneless chicken wings? I
2: like chicken. Well, it's funny. I, I like boneless. One of my guilty pleasure foods is like really crappy kids' menu chicken fingers. Okay. Now, we call them fingers. Yeah. Okay, now I don't know. What do you think? Uh, should they be allowed to be called chicken fingers?
1: Yes, because since chickens don't have fingers anyway, you could identify them however you so want. It's a poetic license. Why are they called fingers? The fingers aren't the chicken's fingers. There, there are some words missing between chicken fingers, <laughs> and the words are that you eat with your. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like you so, don't eat chicken wings with your wings. It's right. a different thing going on. Yeah, yeah. So, so I guess they couldn't call it what they should call, it, which is finger chickens.
2: Yeah, maybe, I mean, I guess sometimes they're called chicken strips. Mm -hmm. That seems like a more apropos term.
1: Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I like that too. But do you like boneless chicken wings? The question is still out there, Dan.
2: No. To me, if you're going to have chicken wings, if you want wings, then part of the experience of eating them is
1: to remove them from the bone. And you have, I mean, this is like sporkful episode four, but you have some good tips on eating chicken wings.
2: And I go into detail on this in, in, in the book as well. There's a lot of different ways to eat a wing, Yeah, especially the one that I want people to focus on So there's two types of wing parts. There's the mini drumstick or drumette. Yeah. And then there's the flat or paddle, which is the one with the two parallel bones. And if
1: you get to the party 12 minutes late, it's going to be all flat and paddle.
2: That's right. And you know what? If that happens to you, you're in luck because that's the better piece. Really? People shy away from the flat because they struggle to get the meat out from in between the two parallel bones. But actually, the flat has more tender meat. More fat, which means more juice and a better meat to bone ratio. Yeah. So that's the money wing right there.
1: And I think what people do is they just stick their tongue in between the two bones, and that burns your tongue. That's not a good way to do it. That's not a good way to do it. And then, set, pulling it apart creates mess and can splatter.
2: Well, you're probably going to have to get messy if you want to eat okay. wings. I mean, I don't consider mess to be a desirable end, <laughs> but if that's the means to the end of deliciousness, then I'm all, then that's you got to you got to do it.
1: Look, it was. It started off in one place, it ended in another, but this is the uh, genius and greatness of Dan Pashman, host of The Sporkful Now, distributed by WNYC, author of Eat More Better, How to Make Every Bite More Delicious. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel. The Affordable Care Act is neither caring nor affordable for Louisianans. Discuss... So Bobby Jindal, governor of Louisiana, was on Meet the Press, and he said something that just confused the jambalaya out of me. And I think it confused host Chuck Todd, too. But first, let's not play that inexplicable statement. Let's play the explicable, just ridiculously inaccurate statement he made earlier in the show. I'll set it up. Chuck Todd's asking Jindal about the prospects of the Republican Congress shutting down the government if President Obama issues an executive action on immigration. Jindal answers. I don't think the president should shut down the government to try to break the Constitution huh, the president would shut down the government? I guess Jindal was gauged in a little, you know, I'm not punishing you, you're punishing yourself type logic. But Chuck Todd was not having it. You think the president would be shutting down the government? Oh, absolutely. I, I, a,
2: so, I, I, so you do want Republicans to fight him on this to the absolutely. point that it could shut down the government?
1: Let's step, I don't think the president should shut down the government. But you're, using, you're twisting my question.
2: Wait, I understand wait. So That means you,
0: you,
1: you want under- that kind of showdown. St- Jindal is using Lewis Carroll-esque levels of linguistics here. When I use a word, Humpty Dumpty said in a rather scornful tone, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. But before all of that hypothetical shutdown blame that Jindal just dumped, Chuck Todd had to get over the hump of this construction regarding Louisiana's rejection of federal Medicare aid. If we were to expand Medicaid, it would cost my taxpayers $1.7 billion over 10 years. For every uninsured person we'd cover, we'd have to kick more than one person out of private insurance. Now think about that. I know this president likes to define success as more people dependent on the government. I would have to take over 200,000 people out of private insurance and put them into Medicaid. Chuck Todd seemed to sense something weird was going on with that argument, but he concentrated on the number, not the word. You have 200,000 people not insured at all, though. Well but no I'm saying for every uninsured person you're covering you're yeah. taking another more than another person out of private insurance so what does that mean kick people off private insurance I asked Phil Gallowitz of Kaiser Health he's still hanging around from the first segment I asked
0: him In policy terms, this is what's called crowd out, in that some people who would, as public insurance, Medicaid expands to cover more people, it's going to grab some people who are not uninsured but are being offered uh, coverage uh, through their workplace. And so thus, even though many people would be uninsured going out to Medicaid, it's going to get some people who probably generally believes it's a huge number, already have health insurance.
1: So no one's getting kicked off private insurance. Isn't that like saying if we build and subsidize light rail, sure, some people who will use it will be people without cars to begin with, but other users will have had cars, and they'll be kicked out of their private transportation. Plus, to qualify for Medicaid, an individual must be earning below $15,000. Phil Gallowitz points out we're talking about poor people who may get some private insurance, but it's not that good, and it might not extend to the whole family. I guess
0: here's the question. How many people making under 32000 for a family of four are getting a nice, rich health benefit package at work? Bobby General thinks it's a lot of people. Others say... You know, if you're making $20,000 at work, you probably don't have a pretty rich health benefit plan.
1: Louisiana and about 19 other states are not expanding Medicare. Many studies have shown that this hurts the uninsured in those states and might hurt everyone else in the long run. Most of those are red states. All of those governors are Republican. Some purpley states, like Wisconsin, under Governor Scott Walker, have also rejected Medicare expansion. Some purpley states, like Indiana and Ohio, have accepted the expansion, sometimes rebranding it, things like HIP. Or Healthy Indiana Plan 2.0. That is Indiana's plan, by the way. It would be weird if that were Ohio's plan. Not as weird as saying the president voted for a shutdown. Maybe as weird as talking about kicking people out of private insurance. But kind of weird. Governors can be funny that way. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, the Gist's producer, has campaigned against the pumpkin trend for years. You could see her at any of the many Squash the Squash rallies under signs that read Bored with Gourd or Dumpin' Pumpkin 2014. Claire Tennisketter is our intern, and she plays squash as if her name were Sega. Joe Meyer, managing producer of Slate Podcast, was put inside a pumpkin shell there. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcast, kept him very well. You could subscribe in iTunes, and while you're there, give us a review Those really help. I like to read them, read them all. I also read everything that's on Facebook.com slash slate gist. Want to give us an email? It's thegist at slate.com. I left a promising career in the law, not for the gist, that came later, but for a role as a vengeful giant who was easily angered by thin layers of oxidation on stone or metals. I figured I'd rather squash a patina than quash a subpoena, and I stand by that decision. Thanks for listening. If you love Slate Podcasts and you're incredibly talented, even if you're just talented and your ego won't allow you to say you're incredibly talented, but a lot of people around you are like, that guy's incredibly talented. Not only that, he or she loves Slate Podcasts. I would say, why do your coworkers not know your gender? Anyway, that's not my business. This is my business and maybe it will be your business. It just so happens that Slate is hiring. Head over to slate.com slash audiojobs to learn more about our openings for an audio product manager and two developers. That's slate.com slash audio jobs.